Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hi there, I'm Don Payne, your host for Engage 360. We're glad you're with us again. Throughout the history of God's people, from the ancient Israelites to the contemporary church, they, we, have faced the continual challenge and struggle of being faithful to our unique identity and purpose in the middle of cultures where alternative values constantly vie for our allegiance. Uh, The New Testament writers acknowledged this repeatedly, like Jesus did also in John 17. We're in the world, yet the world's values, the world's allegiances are not to define us. Uh, Even the early church had to draw upon the language, the conceptual framework of the Hellenistic, the Greek world, to formulate faithful theological confessions. And in doing so, they experienced those risks, which was the uh, reason Tertullian posed the famous question, what has Jerusalem to do with Athens? And as the gospel has spread into the non-Western world, it has regularly faced the challenge of syncretism, the, the blending of Christian faith with religions that dominate those areas. And sometimes Christians or Christianity has been welcomed in those settings as yet another option on a religious menu. Sometimes Christianity has had to dilute certain teachings in order to be accepted. But this syncretism has always presented Christians with the hard work of proper contextualization on one hand, while at the same time, on the other hand, not losing the core distinctiveness of the gospel and the redemptive power of that gospel. So our guest today knows a lot about that tension and, in fact, has recently written on the subject, and it's the book that he's recently published that is the reason we ask him to uh, appear on this episode. And so I'm happy to introduce to you my, my friend and colleague, Dr. Diumem Noeliste, who is professor of theological ethics here at Denver Seminary. Let me tell you a little bit about him. I'll introduce him, and then we'll, uh, we'll have some conversation about a variety of things, but particularly about his recent book. Uh, Dr. Noelis joined the faculty of Denver Seminary in 2007 uh, as both professor of theological ethics and as director of the Vernon Grounds Institute for Public Ethics. He received a law degree from the State University of Haiti, which is his home, um, received an LLD from Bethel College in Indiana, a THB from William Tyndale College, an MDiv from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and a PhD from Northwestern University. Uh, before coming to Denver Seminary, Dr. Noel East served as academic dean and then as president of the Caribbean Graduate School of Theology. He was president of Jamaica Theological Seminary and of the Caribbean Evangelical Theological Association. He is widely recognized for his role in theological education in the non-Western world uh, with the International Council for Evangelical Theological Education and other societies. So, do you ma'am? Welcome to Engage 360. Well, thank you, Don, my friend. It is good to have you here. Nice to be here with you. Now, before we get into the the meaty subject matter of today, which you've written about in your recent book, I want our listeners to get acquainted with you just a little bit. So take a, take a minute or so and tell just a little bit about yourself, your family, um, your background. How did you find your way here to Denver? Big questions. This is a question that people ask me all the time. In fact, yesterday I 
met somebody and I was telling him. In fact, we, I was meeting with one of our prospective students, having lunch with him and in our center. And of course, uh, in the course of the conversation, he got to know that I'm, I'm, from, I'm from Haiti and I'm, um, I live in Jamaica. And he said, how in the world did you make it from Jamaica to here? And I told him, I, came, I received the call to Denver Seminary in Lima, Peru. And he says, well, of course. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, how can this be? So I gave him the whole story. Well, um, yes, uh, as you said, I, I am from the Caribbean, uh, particularly from the great country of, uh, of Haiti. I uh, grew up there and went to school and uh, went to law school. And then uh, after law school, well, I was you know, before even taking the bar, so I really did not uh, get uh, a law degree from Haiti. But... Um, uh, I, God called me to to change course, so I He made the way uh, reluctantly for me to come uh, to the United States, and I start, I began all over, uh, studying theology and uh, philosophy, and um, uh, one things led to another. I got married uh, while uh, and doing these things. To your wonderful to wife, wonderful Gloria, wife Gloria, one of the greatest people I know. This is, I mean, you know, hey, I married up. <laughs> <laughs> and then I really, uh, Don, uh, wanted to go back to Haiti. I remember when I was doing my work uh, in Chicago uh, at uh, Trinity Divinity uh, uh, School and at Northwestern after that, I was impatient. It's amazing. In 1981, I was counting down to 1985 when I would go to Haiti. It's four long years. That's too long. And then, uh, but in God's uh, providence, I was never to go back to Haiti to have a ministry kind of there. In residence. In residence, because I am still involved. Instead, God had a plan for me to go to Jamaica uh, to uh, work at the graduate school, the, 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 that institution was in the making at that time. No professor, no president, no dean. They were simply looking, and then uh, they, they found me, and we received a call. After much prayer, we went to Jamaica, uh, packed up our two children and whatever belongings we had, and went to that land. F- initially for three years, that's what we said. Mm-hmm. And three years became uh, six, six became nine, nine became 15, until we spent uh, 10, uh, 20 years in Jamaica developing that institution. It was in, while in Jamaica, God called uh, for to come to Denver Seminary. After much prayer, we just decided to join the seminary. It has been a great joy being here so for 13, 12, uh, 12 years now. Yeah, yeah, well. I'm delighted you're here. Now, I have to tell listeners uh, who don't know you, and maybe many who do, um, about an interesting uh, feature of your personality. When I entered the world of higher education, began to breathe the rarefied intellectual air of a seminary environment, I did not expect to have a colleague who was an accomplished trash talker. <laughs> really? <laughs> really, really. Wow. And and especially... Uh, someone from outside the U.S., and you have distinguished yourself as as a trash talker. Really? Oh, you have. I mean, I can hardly encounter you in the hall without being verbally assaulted <laughs> with, with, you know, and, and my character aligned. And, but, but with all that on the table, I have to also tell listeners about one of your, um, one of your 
relentless spiritual vices, which is covetousness. <laughs> because since you arrived on our campus 12 years ago, you have badgered me to give you one of my cars, uh, which I'm not going to do. Well, listen, uh, I said that after most prayer I came to the <laughs> seminary. Uh, I, when I came here, I was, I was wondering, why did God lead me here? And I, after meeting you, it became clear it is for me to walk on your sanctification. Well, clearly, I, yeah, I know you mean the best by this because you're convinced it would be good for my character I if mean, I gave you my car. Yeah, I, really. I mean, I don't know why it takes so long, but I, I keep at it. I will not give up. I'm really glad to know that. <laughs> hey, okay, I have in front of me a book, not the book that you just wrote, but yeah. uh, another book. This is actually uh, a novel by the well-known American historical novelist James Mishner. And I'm not going to pronounce the title of this book, but I want you to settle a longstanding controversy, uh-huh. linguistic controversy here in the U.S., and tell me how you pronounce this word. <laughs> what is the proper pronunciation of this word? You should not ask me because I'm, I'm linguistically challenged and confused. I see Caribbean. 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 Okay. No, I put the, the accent on, on the I, the first, the, the I, Caribbean. Caribbean. Yes. That's not the way you say it typically. Well. You uh, say Caribbean. No, I say Caribbean, always. You don't hear me well. You said, you said it the other way just 30 minutes ago. <laughs> You're, okay, wrong answer. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. Yeah. See, because James Mishner, in, in one section of this book, yes. he, has, um, he has a little editorial comment where, yes. where he says that the proper pronunciation is Caribbean, but that Americans who want to uh, fashion themselves as more elitist manufactured the pronunciation Caribbean, Caribbean, but that's not the way it's pronounced. I see. And I wanted you to settle that. Yes, well, I didn't. But you have apparently fallen into, Well, you've been Americanized, and we, you say it, Caribbean. We'll be talking about with culture and theology. I guess the American culture has rubbed on me sufficiently because I've been here at Denver for 12 years and before that uh, 11 years to study theology. So there must be some kind of rubbing of the American culture. So how do people who live there pronounce it? You know, it's uh, it's there is an English, there is a British, there is an and there is a Caribbean. Um, I don't know if the British says Caribbean. I just heard you say Caribbean. Yeah, I said no. I just said Caribbean. (laughs) Um, I know that in French, in French we say Caribbean. So we put the uh, the the focus on the final syllables. I mean syllable. And then, um, but in English, I'm told that you say Caribbean. I don't. Okay, but. I don't speak English yeah. very well, so <laughs> that probably explains that. Uh, well, anyway, yes. back to the uh, the point of our conversation today. You have recently published a book with Langham Press, their French uh, arm. Yes. <coughs> and the English title of the book is the Afro-Caribbean, <laughs> or Afro-Caribbean yeah. Religions in Light of Christian Faith. Correct. Uh, now, we could have this entire conversation in French since you published the book in French, except the extent of my French vocabulary is about 10 words. So we're going to rely on you to interpret your book for us. Yeah. Well, but your, your book is significant because uh, going back to my introductory remarks, co- correct. Uh, as I understand the, uh, the premise and the argument of your book, you are trying to do a theological analysis of some of the syncretism that has plagued or perhaps continues to plague uh, the church in 
uh, in the Caribbean states. Is this correct? Yeah, uh, it, it is uh, uh, partly correct. Okay. Uh, the syncretism is one, but there is also another aspect that the book tried to address in the, in the relationship between uh, the Afro-Caribbean religions and the Christian faith. Okay. Uh, historically, since uh, oh, this I would say 15, 16, uh, 16th century, uh, the with the oh, slave trades and uh, and the, what is called the discovery of the Americas by Columbus. So that region of the world, which was just occupied by uh, the the original Caribbean people called the Caribs and the Arawaks and the Tainos, that region began to receive an influx of people from outside the region itself. Uh, So particularly from Africa, uh, after the Indians died out pretty much, and uh, uh, subsequently from uh, from Asia and uh, and other parts of the world. but with the, uh, the arrival of the Africans uh, them, uh, themselves, you have the, con- the, what is that, the rubbing of the shoulders between the uh, religious heritage of the Africans and Christian faith. Okay. There has been this kind of, uh, of proximity and rubbing. And the question has been how can those two relate so uh, one approach is the approach of complete disengagement, um, the complete separation. It's as if two neighbors who live each other next to each other and they see each other every day, but they never say hi to each other. Mm. Uh, the other one is the argument for replacement. That is now that a new religion, religious reality uh, becomes part of the Caribbean scene, some of the, uh, the arguments of some thinkers that now let's just you know replace the Christians' uh, heritage with the 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 Afro the Afro Caribbean heritage, and um, so the, in this instance, then Christian faith is completely replaced. Mm. Uh, another approach is that well, let us get uh, a, a kind of a, a mixture of the two. Mm-hmm. This is where the concept of, uh, of secretism comes in. Right. Um, my argument is that uh, we need an approach. I, I just critique those, those approaches in the, in the book and suggest that we have instead an approach that recognizes uh, there are similarities, and, but there are profound differences. And I argue that uh, the, in the definition of a, of a relationship between those two, we need to engage in a dialectic of these two concepts. And uh, that in the interplay of uh, the, the similarities, the, uh, what I call similitude in French, this is uh, the subtitle of the book, uh, Similitude and Differences. That is, uh, uh, similarities and differences. And then uh, find out uh, how we can come to an understanding that is, um, that takes seriously the religious reality, and that doesn't, however, compromise Christian faith as we come to understand it. Okay, that is the, my argument in the book. Okay, so why did what motivated you to write this book? Oh. I mean, you, you've been away from Haiti for a long time, but I know you've stayed actively involved uh, with the the church scene in Haiti. Yeah. Uh, what 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 prompted you uh, uh, to write this? I would say there is a threefold motivation. Uh, the first one uh, you mentioned Haiti, but the book. Uh, 
talks about uh, the Afro-Caribbean religions. Um, that that is, is, it covers uh, the entire region. The, 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 entire, entire, the entire region. Right. Okay. Uh, it, it, it attacks a number of religions, which covers the entire region. So when I get to Jamaica, I arrived in Jamaica at the graduate school. One of the courses I taught was a, a course in Caribbean thought and culture. Uh, in that course, you know, we, 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 we address things such as uh, um, Caribbean history, Caribbean music, Caribbean literature, Caribbean politics, and Caribbean religions. The, the course was taught by a variety of persons because nobody is an is a expert in all of these areas. And I taught the section dealing with Caribbean religions. And I began to do research. I, I, I didn't do a thing. I went through education here in the, in the United States all the way to the PhD, but never <laughs> done any study in this area. But I became interested because it's part of our culture. So I studied voodoo, shango, all of these other religions, and, and to really help our students understand the context so that they can make the gospel confront that context and challenge it to, be, to change. Um, so I did that for about 20 years. And then, well, left it there. When I came here in the United States, I didn't teach that at Denver Seminary. But then God opened the door for me to go to Paris, to France, to teach a course at, at the Afro-Caribbean uh, Institute of Bible Institute. Uh, I presented the material in French for the first time. And after I did that, the student said, wow, that's great. You did this for us for about a week or two, but do you have anything to leave behind for us? There was no such thing. And so that was the motivation. The third motivation is the argument of the book. That is, uh, um, uh, for some people, there must be complete separation, as I said. For others, uh, there must be a straddling of the two. That is, uh, the, the Afro-Caribbean Christian, the, what is Haitian, Jamaican, and so forth, think that they can straddle Christian faith and this religion as well. And uh, so the argument is uh, that I put with the similitudes and differences is to say that you can, as we as Christians, we can recognize the similarities, but and appreciate the deep differences, so that we don't have to straddle uh, and mix the two if we are to be faithful Christians. At the same time, we have to, to understand enough of these religions so that we can engage them redemptively. Mm -hmm. We can have a conversation with the universe next door to the point of introducing them to Jesus Christ, uh, which is what we can provide to them what they are really looking for uh, in life. Okay, so your book has not been out very long. When was it released? It was released uh, just last month uh, okay. in August. Okay, this may be too early to tell, but do you have any preliminary response or indicators from the Caribbean region uh, to the book's argument, how's it being received so far? I, uh, I, no idea yet, except for the few friends who have uh, kind of who have read it, uh, and particularly though I've, I've given it to many people in the Caribbean, uh, even in France, and in, to read and to assess. Uh, these these responses were very helpful, and. Um, uh, to the argument that I made. Uh, but uh, as far as the wider, wider people, the broader Caribbean region, and the, uh, the, the Afro-Caribbeans outside the region, this is yet to come. Okay. Well, you know the region well. You know the context. So what type of response do you anticipate? Well, I anticipate uh, particularly from, the, obviously, the, the, because it is in French, 
um, the other countries that I address in the book, such as Jamaica and Rastafarianism uh, um, uh, in Jamaica, uh, OBI in Jamaica, and others in Trinidad and Tobago, in Cuba, uh, in, the, the, in Puerto Rico, the American Republic, obviously that will be limited because it is. So people have been asking me, when will you have an English translation? Um, but I expect that a number of uh, uh, schools in Haiti uh, have already decided to use it as a textbook. Very good. good. <laughs> in fact, I get an invitation to go and teach it myself and teach the, the course in a, in a very kind of wonderful university that is in the northern of Haiti. And I'm just, I, I'm look, I look forward to do that. Mm. So I expect, uh, I, I, I have not seen this, this, this engagement, uh, certainly not in French. Okay. Not in French. And I will go to Paris uh, in 2021 uh, to teach it uh, again. So I'm hoping that uh, the response will be, will be encouraging. Uh, that's why I do it. I, I didn't do it in English. I, I think that it needs to be done in this language. Okay. Um, Canada, uh, there is a gentleman I interact with in the book who wrote a book called On Voodoo, arguing for a syncretistic approach. I took him to task it. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up yeah. because I, I knew that you had a section in the book on voodoo. Yes. Talk to us about that. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I, I chose voodoo. Uh, well, I, I, I call it voodoo. I don't like voodoo. It's nasal sound. <laughs> and, uh, and that really <laughs> It all sounds the same to me, but <laughs> no. and go it, ahead. And that doesn't really give people really an appreciation of the, of the importance of this religion. Okay. Sometimes people see voodoo as... Um, hmm, as um, what is it, uh, a, a, an, an ancient and uh, a, a religion that should not be taken seriously because it is engaged in magic and all of these things in ugliness and so forth. And I think this, while some of this is true, but it doesn't represent the cultural um, element that uh, this and mindset and worldview that this thing represents. And so I, I began with Voodoo first because I think it is a uh, much of its of its teaching are uh, uh, resonated in the other religions. So I began with Voodoo and I put the other religion beside Rastafarianism in conversation with Voodoo in the second chapter of the book, and uh, uh, because I have really a uh, a passion for. The, the mindset, the, the voodoo culture, the voodoo, the understanding of life, the voodoo worldview, that really penetrates the mind of, of my people to be transformed by the gospel. And I make no, what is it, uh, no apology for that in the book. And some people who have read it, they are more sympathetic to the voodoo worldview than I am. And they know where I come from. They say, well, you have made, you have made the argument in the case for that. So we... Um, we, uh, we appreciate that. Well, I feel like we could talk about that very topic for a long, long time. G give us maybe one or two brief examples of how the gospel, how you understand the gospel speaking into and challenging redemptively the voodoo mindset. Uh, yes. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, it, it, it's, it's a big, it's, it's a lot that can be said here. But uh, uh, the, the, for example, the concept of 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 God, okay, concept of God, 
the which is what you call the Loires. I call in fact voodoo or the worship of the Loires. Uh, the Loires are a second tier in the voodoo pantheon. Uh, the voodoo god, the high god, is supposed to be elevated, as much in, in much of the Caribbean religion, elevated, not really uh, accessible or interested that much in uh, the affairs of human being. The, this is relegated to the second tier's divinities, that is, the, which are the Loires, and there are multiplicity of Loires and so forth. And keeping these uh, these divinities happy and so that we can navigate life is a... It's a huge task. I'm saying this because the Nuelis family, I'm Nuelis, Nuelis family uh, practiced voodoo. My grandmother was, was a voodooist. Hmm. I know that firsthand. It's not just secondhand. And um, um, it is when my family, my mom and my dad, became the first person to accept Jesus in that village because they could not satisfy these, these laws. Then... Things began to change in our lives. Then, because, uh, so we believe the challenge of the Christian faith, the gospel to, to the voodoo God, to the voodoo religion, is that no, uh, what you're seeking in the was only God can provide. A God that cares about us, a God that doesn't remain oh detached from humanity, a God that is transcendent, but that is also immanent, that is close to us. And a God that shows his love so much for us that he becomes incarnate among us. He did, he did not have any fear to become part of us for the purpose of redeeming us. It is this God revealed in Jesus Christ that we need to get the satisfaction, the deliverance, the salvation that we, we seek in a world that we, that of fear, uh, that, that, that so many forces are unleashed we against us. This is what this is the understanding of the voodoo mentality. The universe is has is is people is, ho- is hostile. It's hostile. hostile. And some Correct. has to some one, one one has to find one's oh footing and um, and security is important. And we're saying that that's that this is exactly what the gospel comes to provide us. The doctrine of the incarnation. Correct. Becomes the proclamation of the gospel. Very key to voodoo. Yes, very key to say God is here. In not not really uh, way in disguise, not con, not concerned about us. Before that, I wrote a piece uh, about twenty or 30, twenty-five years ago called uh, rem- "Transcendent but Not Remote." God is transcendent, but not but not remote. remote Good distinction. Us. Yeah, He's here with us, mm. and He's here for to make a difference in our lives. Mm. Okay, so how how might um, your argument in this book be? A sort of case study that Christians in very different contexts, such as the U.S., yes. could benefit from. Uh, yeah, a good question. And here, uh, uh, I think the engage the understanding of culture. The understand and, and there are two things here. Uh, first of all, culture outside culture that is uh, which are not our own. Um, I remember I was uh, studying. I was a student. By Northwestern, and uh, there was a movie, uh, kind of a, a documentary that was put out, and it was on voodoo, and we were offended by this. We Haitian intellectuals in the in the country, it is really a a kind of uh, uh, negative portrayal of of the of the culture, and uh, we 
in the West, perhaps there is a tendency to do that. I certainly, with co- with respect to Vodou, mm-hmm. I, I I hope that people if <laughs> well, I don't I don't think many Americans can think about Vodou, yeah. except in terms of sticking yeah. pins in dolls. Exactly, that's the point. In fact, uh, we see the cover of the book when uh, the Langham was working on the cover. They had, put, had something so kind of you know um, esoteric uh, with. Said no, I don't want that because I want peop- serious people to read this. It is not what I want to portray, and and in so far as uh, American readers can read will read this book in French, I want them to get an appreciation of the Voodoo religion beyond um, what they used to think, like needle sticking pins, pins and, and dolls. That's the second. Right. The second thing is about culture, our understanding of our own culture. In the book, in talking about. To kind of leading to the approach of uh, similitude and differences, I argue uh, that uh, we need to engage in culture critique, in a theology of culture that views culture as uh, consisting of elements of positive, good elements, bad elements, and also neutral elements. The first we need to challenge. The second, um, uh, or the, the, the last, or the, the third one, the good one, we need to embrace. And the third, in between, we need to redeem. And what is it for us? There, is a, there may be a tendency in some countries to say, well, my culture right or wrong. <laughs> no, culture is a human invention. Mm-hmm. And humans are fallen. So in every culture, there will be the bad, the nice, the good. There will be also the ugly that need to be challenged, and there will be those in between. Mm-hmm. And our job as Christians is not to just take an uncritical approach to our culture. A big argument of the book is what I call the to our culture is the, is the concept of critical appropriation. We appropriate what is good. We critique what is bad. And then we redeem what is uh, neutral. Let's talk just for a moment about redemption. How how has your experience in Haiti, your research on the book, how has all of that clarified for you, maybe illuminated for you, what redemption looks like when the gospel comes into a very convoluted religious scene in a culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed to me, uh, and, and this is what, uh, again, in every chapter we just try to say what is, what is, um, um, what is, simi- what are the similarities and what are the differences. What the gospel does is, pro- is to provide clarity. Uh, for example, um, the, the Caribbean religions talk about the need for mediation. In mediation. Okay. And so in the, in the chapter on Christology, we, we, I address that. I say, yeah, the concept of mediation is a biblical concept. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is, between God and men, there is a gulf between, the, between us and God. There must be mediation, and the Caribbean religions are right to, to focus on that. But then when it comes to how they fill in that theology, we, we, who are the mediators? Well, the mediators are uh, the Roas in Voodoo, they are the spiritual forces in Shango, they are, and in the case of Rastafarianism, it's like Haile Selassie, a just a man. And I said, no, the scriptures clarified that there is only one person who qualifies as the mediator, and that is the incarnate Christ. 
So this is what I want the, uh, my, the Caribbean readers to get, that they have a case of clarity. The Holy Spirit, for example, the Spirit is a huge area. Okay? Uh, spirit possession is in all, all of the religions except Rastafarianism. All right? So there is a confusion from time. People say, well, you know, it's possession, possession, it's spirit in spirit. Uh, and although as if everything goes. So no, 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 let's look at uh, what this, who is the, the spirit who must possess us so that it, it can redound to our good. It is, not this, it is a spirit of a particular ontological status who is God himself. Hence, the Trinity becomes so critical in this discussion. Mm, mm. Secondly, is a spirit who is, who is not morally ambiguous, as is the case in the other religions. Okay. They can be good and bad spirit. The same, the same gods, voodoo gods, can do you good, do me good, but when I want to turn him against you, do you bad? Uh, <laughs> Say what is called that moral ambiguity. Okay. So Which leads to fear. Exactly. So I said, the spirit of God doesn't have any this kind of ambiguity. That's what we call him Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. Well, it gives a whole new... Um, a uh, whole new illumination to Paul's comment to Timothy that God has not given us a spirit, spirit of, of fear. fear. Now, of course, he had a particular application in mind with that comment, but it does fit. That's, God it, does it, not give us a spirit it of fear. It does fit. And there is a, a, a thing with the spirit, the, the deduction of the spirit. Is, the, is the, the action of the spirit on behalf of the believer. Uh, in the voodoo God or the voodoo religion or in the other religions too, in the Carol, we talk, Shango uh, and, 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 the, and the revivalist religions, we have to do something to keep the spirits happy, to keep them on our side. Mm. <laughs> our mm. side. And uh, so we have to do sacrifices and uh, do this thing and this, this, that to keep them in our quarter. Okay. There is no such thing in the spirit of the spirit okay. of God. Yeah. So what I'm talking about is clarity. Uh, the gospel will Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Okay, last uh, last serious question. Uh, as you look forward to scholarship that will build upon uh, what the work that you've done, uh, what lies ahead? What uh, what work needs yet to be done by uh, theologians and other uh, Christian scholars in the uh, in the arena of Afro Caribbean religion? There is a sense in which that this is really kind of an introduction. I mean, I just do. Probably or 10, 12 chapter on one of those religions. One can write books on this, exploring uh, the various uh, uh, contours of, of these religions. I mean, I didn't talk mm-hmm. about eschatology, for example. I, maybe if I were to do something, I would just add a chapter mm-hmm. on the doctrine of the last things, which is something which is lacking in many of the religions. It's look at everything is confined for the now. Okay. <laughs> the now is important, as you know me. I I, I focus on the uh, the abundant life here and now, but it is not all. This is not all that is uh, before us, as Paul says in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Mm-hmm. Even only in this life, we hope when we are miserable indeed. Mm-hmm. But the uh, what I would like to do, in fact, Langham has just graciously given me a contract, is a book on the role of the church in uh, social change and transformation. And the arg- in, in Caribbean cultures? No, no. Uh, well, uh, or in general? I would do that in general, particularly, particularly looking at the majority world. Okay. Uh, Christian faith, as you know, is growing a lot in the majority Certainly. world. And, uh, and uh, so the church is growing. And uh, my concern is that how can that church be positioned, be equipped, be, um, uh, be formed so that it can challenge society 
in and gear it in the direction of the life that God wants for human beings. Okay. That is the work I would like to write. If uh, if your voice is reaching any young, budding, gifted Caribbean scholars, yes. what's the next book that they should write? <laughs> well, it is going to... Um, here, I'm going to come about Haiti. I mean, this is a Caribbean. Obviously, the Caribbean is not monolithic. Right. Uh, every territory has its own challenge challenges. And as he, that is kind of a broad stroke on, on Caribbean as a whole. But I am Haitian. And um, my passion is to see how the gospel, and that's what I would like to see a Caribbean, budding Caribbean uh, uh, theologian do, how the gospel can can what is it address the challenge of um, um, Haitian society's uh, prosperity and uh, and deliverance from what is it uh, the scourge of poverty and 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 you know what what is that uh, I wrote a little piece some time ago called um, there is so much Christianity and so much poverty. Hmm. How can we resolve this kind of... Uh, so something that has some socioeconomic implications socioeconomic to it? Implication to it. Oh, good, yeah. good. Uh, you know what I do at, uh, in the Institute? I, 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 I don't believe that there is any theme that is outside of the purview of Christian faith. Right. That's why it is a living faith. So what can the gospel to provide hope for people? Not hope, I mean, obviously hope of heaven, hope of the afterlife. That's true, that is good. But when I see millions of young Haitians, you know, um, remaining uh, in the abject condition they are, I am concerned. So, We've been interacting this week with Dr. Dumem Noel East, professor of theological ethics here at Denver Seminary. I want to give him uh, just our gratitude for the work he's done in this recent book and uh, our prayer that it's going to be really impactful in the body of Christ around the world. This is Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. We are glad you've joined us. Hope you'll continue to join us. Visit our website, denverseminary.edu. And if you'd like to give us uh, comments, questions, uh, any kind of interaction, we'd love to hear from you. Podcast at denverseminary.edu is our email address. On behalf of our production team, Dusty DeSanto, Krista Ebert, Rob Foley, Aaron Johnson, Michael Roberts, Maritza Smith, Sean Truman and Andrea Wayan. I'm Don Payne, your host. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll check in again next week for another episode.